way through the Gospel of Mark. This morning we're in Mark chapter 11, verses 11 through 25. So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, to Mark 11, verse 11. And while you turn there, let me just give a shout out to some kiddos for, uh, for taking notes yesterday or last week in the sermon and for posting those. I want to give a special shout out to uh, Vive Kreider, who uh, took great notes. And, and on her notes, she wrote, God is the one and only God and the God of God's God is loving and gracious. So we, we love hearing truths about God come out of the mouths of our children. So kids, keep it up and uh, uh, keep taking notes uh, while you listen to the sermon. You can grow in the Lord. Okay, we are in Mark chapter 11, verses 11 through 25 this morning. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything... As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. And they passed by in the morning, or as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit who speaks to us through it. I pray that your word would have its uh, proper effect on us this morning, that you would work in us faith and repentance, that we would be a people who hear, believe, and act. And so we ask that you would act now in us by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have in this story what is called an enacted parable. An enacted parable. And it's essentially a, a story or event or an object lesson that conveys a theological message. So, uh, some examples of this. Uh, for example, in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 19, uh, God tells Jeremiah to take a, a pot, you know, an earthen vessel, and go before some of the elders of Jerusalem and say, basically, holding up the pot, so the Lord will do to you 
for your sin and then break the pot into a bunch of pieces before them. It's an enacted parable. Or Hosea, God calls the prophet Hosea to go and take, for, uh, take a prostitute as a wife for himself. And so convey to the people Israel that though I, God, am your husband, you are whoring about with other nations like a prostitute. It's an enacted parable. And here we see Jesus doing the same thing, taking up that prophetic ministry and, and, and um, performing an enacted parable. He comes to a fig tree, and he finds no fruit on it, and he curses it, and it withers to its roots. It's an enacted parable. What is it enacting? Well, you may remember from past sermons in Mark that Mark has a, a technique that he uses nearly a dozen times in the gospel where uh, you could call it a, a, a sandwich technique where he places one story within another to relate the two to each other so that the two stories explain each other. And so here you have, if you look at the text, you have, you know, the fig tree incident, you have this scene in the temple, and then you have a return to the fig tree. And it's Mark's way of saying that these two things are one and the same. The tree is the temple. The temple is like a fruitless, non-producing fig tree. And Jesus is coming to shut it down. To shut it down. Jesus is pronouncing judgment against the temple system for its fruitlessness, its barrenness, its empty worship. And that is our in, the way in which this passage relates to us. The possibility of empty worship among God's people did not expire when the temple was destroyed. There remains the very real possibility that you can go your whole life participating in religious activities and in fact be totally spiritually barren and fruitless if you misplace your faith. If you put your faith in the wrong place, you can be all foliage and no fruit, so to speak. If you put your faith in the wrong place, you can be all foliage and no fruit. You can have the appearance of godliness, but inwardly be as a dead and barren tree. And so I want to enter into this text and, and divide our, our time in this text through three headings. Three headings this morning, and there are three ways to remain fruitless. That's how we'll work through this. Three ways to remain fruitless, and these are the three. First is to be deaf to God's call to repentance. To be deaf to God's call to repentance, to willingly not listen. Second way to remain fruitless is to be deceived by your religious activity, to be deceived by your religious activity and, and affiliations. And then third is to be self-dependent, to be self-dependent, to depend on your own strength to produce the fruit that God requires. Deaf, deceived, self-dependent. These are three ways to remain fruitless. Let's look at the first one to be deaf to God's call to repentance. You will notice that the word repentance is nowhere in our passage. So where am I getting this? 
Well, it has to do with John's baptism that happens at the beginning of Mark, and this puzzling detail that we see in verse 13 in our passage about it not being the season for figs. And, and uh, I'll show you in a moment how these relate and relate to the idea of repentance. But let's start with this fig conundrum that probably had all of you wondering what's going on there in verse 13, because it seems that on the surface, Jesus is, is being unreasonable in expecting figs when it's not fig season. Verse 13 says, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And then he curses it. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And commentators and scholars have been troubled by this and have tried to offer various explanations for what's happening here. And the one that I find most convincing and seems to be the prevailing view is that while it would not have been the season for fully ripe figs, it was the season for something called uh, pegim, which were basically little fig knops. So they were, you know, pre-figs, if you will. So the way it worked is that, you know, the fig harvest in, is in October, and um, the brown, uh, or after the fig harvest in October, the, the branches would sprout these little buds, and those buds would remain dormant through the winter. But then in March t- uh, to April, uh, during springtime, they would sprout into small green knops called pegim. And then after that, would, they uh, would come foliage. So on the tree, first the tree is barren, and there's these little knops, and then there's foliage. And then come summer, those pagim, those little pre-figs, become mature figs. And so the order of event would be pegim, foliage, figs. And so Jesus, seeing in the distance foliage, the second stage, he comes to the tree expecting to see what? Pegim, the early fruit in the first stage. But instead, he finds nothing but leaves, which is to say that this fig tree is non-producing. It had a disease. It was non-producing. It was barren. It had the appearance of being fruitful. The foliage made it seem alive, but in fact, it was not. It was a non-producing tree. Okay, so what does that have to do with John's baptism? Well, the Gospel of Mark opens with a quote from Isaiah about John the Baptist, and it says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John has a preparatory ministry going before the Lord. How does he prepare God's people for the Lord? You read it in the very next verse. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John's ministry was a preparatory one. He was stirring the people in early fruits of repentance, if you will. So Jesus, in our passage, comes into the temple looking for this early fruit, and he does not find it. Just like he comes to the fig tree looking for early fruit and does not find it. And in fact, the baptism of John comes up in the verses just after our passage in Mark. You'll, we'll read it next week. 
And in that passage, it's revealed that the Pharisees and the scribes did not believe John's message of repentance. They rejected it. They closed their ears to it. And it shows in their lack of repentance concerning worship in the temple for which they were responsible. So what's happening? Jesus is looking for early fruit. He's not finding it. The fruit Jesus seeks is the fruit of repentance. Or as John says in the Gospel of Matthew, fruit in keeping with repentance. What signaled to Jesus that the Jewish people were listening to him? That they confessed their sins, they turned from them, and they sought the Lord. That was the early fruit. And may it be so with us, especially so, because we who have the whole counsel of God, the fully unveiled gospel of Christ, we are without excuse. Are you listening? Listening is key to bearing fruit, but if we willingly stop our ears and deafen ourselves to the word of God when it calls forth faith and repentance, we remain fruitless. And so that's the first way to remain fruitless is to be deaf. Willingly close your ears to the word of God. That's what the Pharisees had done. And here's the second way to remain fruitless, and it's to be deceived by your religious activity. To be deceived by your religious activity and your affiliations. Jesus sees foliage, and he expects figs. He goes to the temple, and he expects worship. That's not what he finds there. And at this, we come to the heart of the text. Really, the key issue that provokes Jesus' anger. And whenever you're reading in the Bible and you see Jesus getting angry, your ears should perk up. You should pay close attention because it reveals what is close to God's heart. What is it here that provokes Jesus' anger? The temple had become, become a den of robbers when it was meant to be a house of prayer. The temple was no longer a place of worship, but a place of commerce and extortion, a place where mammon was being worshipped uh, rather than the one true God. And to really appreciate what's happening here, uh, we need to dive into the two Old Testament, uh, Old Testament passages that Jesus is drawing from. So generally speaking, when, uh, when the biblical writers quote an Old Testament passage, even if they're just quoting a sentence or a phrase, typically it's them sort of drawing up the whole unit of thought that they're quoting from. And so when Jesus here quotes from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7, when he talks about the house of prayer for all nations and the den of robbers, when he's quoting from those two passages, he's saying a lot more than a word about Gentiles and a word about uh, worshiping uh, money in the temple. So I want to take us into these two passages and explore the depths uh, uh, of what Jesus is calling up here. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Isaiah 56, verse 1. Isaiah 56, verse 1. I'm going to read a a good portion of this. Verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. 
and, not, and let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Okay, so he's talking about eunuchs and foreigners having a place in the temple. He continues, the foreigners and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Who is Jesus saying should have confidence before him and confidence to come into the temple by bringing up this passage? It's the one who holds fast to his covenant. Be that person a foreigner or a eunuch or a, sir, a sojourner. That is the outcast of Israel. So long as they hold fast his covenant and keep holy his Sabbaths, they are the ones who are welcome. The popular understanding at the time of Mark was that the Messiah was going to come and clear the temple of foreigners and Gentiles and eunuchs to cast out the outcast. Jesus is reversing this in calling up this passage. He's saying, I don't care if you are at the head of the temple, if you are the chief priest, I am gathering those who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, who love the name of the Lord. Those are the ones I am gathering. Meanwhile, the curse upon the scribes and the Pharisees has already gone out. Jesus is indicating that rather than your pedigree being a, a reason to boast, it's actually a reason to be cautious because you could put confidence in your pedigree when in fact you should not. God is looking for worshipers. How about Jeremiah 7? Why don't you turn there if you have your Bible with you? I want to show you yet more of what Jesus is pulling up in these references. Jeremiah chapter 7, starting at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter the gates to worship the Lord, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Let me pause there. He's saying, don't have false confidences. Don't tell me of your affiliation with the temple in the religious center when your heart is far from me. He continues, 
For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice uh, uh, for one, with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. If you really have fruit, there's actual evidence of my law having made a home in your heart of reverence for me. He continues, verse eight. Behold, you trust in deceptive words. There it is again, to no avail. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery? Swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, and only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. He has looked through the facade, and he sees what's really happening. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And what he did was destroy it. He leveled it. And so as you can see from these passages, the issue is more than just the exclusion of the Gentiles, although that matters a great deal. The issue at hand is essentially the whole law. The Ten Commandments, and all that flows from them, oppression of the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. There's extortion and violence left and right. And in quoting this, Jesus is leveling the religious leaders. He's throwing the whole book of the law at them and saying, do not take the name of the temple as your defense. The temple was so grand, it was so big, these columns so wide it would take three people holding hands to wrap around a column. So they would look at the temple and say, look how secure we are. And Jesus is saying, do not put the deceptive words, the temple of the Lord, on your lips. You are all foliage, no fruit. I see right past you, and you have nothing to stand on. Foliage without fruit is like a temple without worship. It's a fraud. And such a tree and such a temple are good for nothing but to be destroyed. And so what's happening here? Jesus is delivering the first blow against temple worship. This is a pronouncement of judgment that will be carried out further in his death when at his death, the temple curtain is torn in two. The irrelevance of the temple is made real. And then it's destroyed fully in 70 AD. What's happening here? The Lord is coming into his temple to shut it down because it was fruitless. It was fruitless. We may be deceived, but Jesus will not be deceived. He knows the fruit he is looking for. And so, my friends, do not trust 
in your religious activity and affiliations. If I may riff on the words of Jeremiah for our modern context, in our church in particular, do not trust in the deceptive words, church attendance, church attendance, church attendance. Do not trust in the deceptive words, reform theology, reform theology, reform theology. Apostles' Creed, Apostles' Creed, Apostles' Creed. I tithe, I tithe, I tithe. Everything I just named is good and right and important, and it is possible for you to have an outward handle on all of them and inside be dead. And that is the warning for us from this passage. Are we all foliage? No fruit. Do you love the name of the Lord? Do you have self-understanding that you are a slave to Christ and that your life is not your own? That your goal is holiness? Do you put sin to death by the Spirit? When you look at the law of God and you read it, do you realize how helpless you are to fulfill it and you run to Christ and you plead His merits on your behalf? Does your heart break for sin? Do you love Him? Do you love God? Do you want to love Him more? When you hear His voice, do you follow Him? This is the fruit God is looking for. Do not trust in the deceptive words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We may be deceived, but Jesus will not be. John the Baptist, in the Gospel of Matthew, voices well the warning that here Jesus is enacting in the cursing of the fig tree. He says in chapter 3, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, do not be deceived. We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I must be very clear with you. If your life shows no fruit in keeping with repentance, then these passages are about you. If the Word of God never cuts you so as to correct your life, these passages are about you. If God's word goes in one ear and out the other and you make no effort at obedience by the Spirit, you are the fruitless tree. And I'm not talking about pull yourself up by your bootstraps obedience. I'll get to that in a second. I'm saying the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Do you follow when he calls you to repent? is the resonance of the Word of God in your heart that works itself out by way of fruit. By now, we should all be wanting fruit. We've seen that a way to remain fruitless is to be deaf, to ignore the Word of God. Another is to be deceived by our religious affiliations. We need to make one more stop before we 
finish with talking about how to produce fruit, one more way to remain fruitless is this, our third point, self-dependence. Self-dependence. You know, when we were reading those Isaiah and Jeremiah passages, I hope you felt your inability to do what God was commanding in order for you to stand in his presence. To keep the Sabbath blamelessly, to hold fast his covenant blamelessly. None of us can do that. If we look to ourselves to save ourselves, we are done. Verse 22 almost comes out of nowhere. You know, Peter has said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse is withered. And Jesus answers him there, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Jesus doesn't say, make sure you bear fruit. He gives us the response he desires, have faith in God. Have faith in God. If you hear this warning and you, you go straight to your journal and you start listing off every area of your life where you need to prune sin and produce fruit, you're done. That's not going to work. That is faith in yourself. Jesus doesn't say have faith in yourself. Have faith in God. Us trying to work out all of the fruit ourselves, it's like trying to bench press the law of God. You can't. It will crush you. Was there anything in you when we were reading Isaiah and Jeremiah that said, I can do that? I hope not. I hope you know your helplessness before God. If you look to yourself to bear fruit, my friends, it's like looking at a fallen limb on the ground and expecting that to bear fruit come springtime. It's not going to happen. And perhaps this is why so many of us are fruitless in our lives because we are making attempts at fruit without depending on God. When our activity for God far outweighs our time spent with God, that is a recipe for fruitlessness. Why? Because of Jesus' gracious words, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says have faith in God. Have faith in God to produce something. Believe in God's power. Believe in God's forgiveness. Believe that when you ask God for fruit, he will give it. Have faith in God. You know, it's pretty easy for us to kind of just set a bar of religious activity and then attain that and think, yep, I got things under control. I actually feel like my self-dependence is really working for me right now. It's not the fruit God requires. The fruit God requires is not in you, nor is it in your ability to produce. So then how do we produce fruit? Because God wants to see fruit. How do we produce it? We go to Christ, the true vine, and the true temple. That's what we do. Christ shuts down the temple. Why? To put himself in its place. Because he is the true temple. Jesus is the only person who ever worshiped God perfectly. The only person who ever fulfilled Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. The only person who could have the whole book 
of the law thrown at him and stand up to it because he lived perfectly and fulfilled the law. Jesus shuts down the temple and he puts himself in its place. He says, have faith in me. Come to me and I will make you living stones. Abide in me. I will make your worship acceptable through me. Do you want to dwell with God? Come through me and you can stand in his presence. We must go to the true temple. And to produce fruit, we must abide in the vine. This is what John 15 tells us about how to produce fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you want fruit? Abide in Christ. And you will say, what does that mean? That's a good question. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to believe in him and commune with him. To be with him continually. Be in his word. Be in prayer. Eat at his table. Be with his people. Come under the authority and teaching of his word. And pray and pray and pray with faith. And are you going to do that perfectly? Of course not. And thanks be to God, it doesn't depend on that. Thanks be to God, Christ worshiped God perfectly, and we are found in him, and that is our power. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you really are able to give effort and make progress and see fruit, and it's his fruit, because you are a branch and he is the vine. We are producing fruit and it's his fruit. Here's how I think this can look practically, and I'm winding it down here. This is just one idea. Go home today. Kids, I encourage you to do this too. Parents, you might need to try and do this during nap time. Do what you can do to find 30 minutes to get alone with God and start with the truth about yourself. Come before God and tell him the truth. If I can just cut straight to the heart of the matter, as I understand it by experience, is that the main reason we don't produce fruit is that we don't really want it. We don't want it from the heart or with all our heart. We want it, but we want other bad fruit too. We cannot have intimacy with God and the things he hates. And I think that's the source of a lot of our fruitlessness. My friends, just like you can't worship God and mammon in the temple courts, you cannot have intimacy with God and the things he hates. I think this is the reason our prayers are often shallow is that we are withholding from God. We say we want fruit, but then there are things we are unwilling to release. And so we need to be really honest with ourselves before God. So start with the truth. Tell him what's true. God, I want to be a fruit-producing tree. I admit I have a heart divided, and I'm prone to depend on myself. Search me and know my heart and see if there is any grievous way in me. And then take note. Listen 
as the Spirit searches you. I think you know what I'm talking about. When you pray and there is a prompting and you just close your ears to it and you keep on going, but you know he's asking for something and you're unwilling to give it. I know this because I do it too. So I won't list examples because I think you know the fruit God is calling forth in your life. Won't you give it to him by the power of the Spirit? Won't you lay down your will and trust that the Lord is good, that he has good things in store? Won't you put an end to bitterness and resentment whatever it is. May God bring it forth in you. And may you keep doing that. And in a week, two weeks, four weeks, several months, when you see little green knops developing and then figs, you will know this is from God and I belong to him and you will give him glory. Don't be all foliage and no fruit. Don't be deaf to his word. Don't be deceived by your activity. Don't be dependent on yourself. Look to God. The sight of him is beautiful and he will produce beautiful fruit in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we depend on you and you provide for us. I thank you that you have given us a savior whom we believe by faith, whose worship you count to our credit, that we can come to him and be made living stones and branches that produce fruit. Father, I pray that you would deliver each of us from our failed attempts at producing fruit, that you would deliver us from our deceptions, from our hard-heartedness, from our self-dependence. Please produce fruit in us. Comfort us with the gospel. Keep us from getting this backwards where we think it's our fruit that saves us. We know that fruit is the sign of saving faith, which is a grace you give. So help us to trust you and listen to you, and see fruit emerge. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.